We have been uh, taking a look at Psalms and uh, how they relate to Christmas. And we're so thankful that uh, the hope we have in Jesus Christ is not only a hope that we, um, we squeeze out of or look at the New Testament, that the, the Old Testament is full of references to who Christ is and what he is going to accomplish. And when we want our joy full, uh, we, we look to the whole of Scripture. And so Psalm 72 is uh, a good example of us having opportunity to take a look at uh, the Old Testament for a source of joy and for some clue as to what this Christmas is supposed to be all about. You know, the word Advent is a word that speaks of Christ's coming, and there's a first Advent. And this first Advent is, of course, when Jesus came to Bethlehem and lived in this world that we've heard talked about this morning already, and that's profound. But there's a second Advent coming that we don't necessarily study or think about especially around Christmas, the way that we ought to. That, that God, through Jesus Christ, is going to rule this world forever. And that the, the point of Jesus um, coming and being king of Jerusalem, or king of, Judea, king of the Jews, is so that uh, through that, there would be a blessing to the whole world. And in his reign forever, he will be a blessing to the whole world. And so today we're going to look at what Psalm 72 teaches you and me uh, about his worldwide, eternal, good rule that we should think about sometimes uh, along the Christmas season. And by the way, this isn't all that different than what we looked looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, when we looked at uh, his worldwide reign through Psalm 2. We look at a different aspect of it today, but the same idea that, listen, Jesus will reign forever. And we've already got a taste of that. We know it's true because he came and established his kingdom in Jesus. And now Psalm 72, we're going to continue to uh, just examine what that reign and rule is going to look like in your life, my life, and and in the world. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll we'll jump right in. God, you sent Jesus to save that which was lost, to seek and to save. So Jesus' reign, it's what his kingdom, it's what his mission is all about. And so we are praising you today that um, as amazing as it is that Jesus came as a baby, that he didn't come to be a baby. He came as a human on a mission that he did indeed accomplish everything he set out to accomplish in in his days in this world. He lived under the expectations of the law flawlessly and never sinned. And that he came as the Son of God to be righteous. And so, Father, uh, he died as a penalty for sin, but he raised again to guarantee that we could live with him forever. And so we, we praise you for these truths. And now as we think about this, this kingdom that is a reality in Jesus Christ and it's guaranteed because he's risen again, Lord, help our minds get wrapped around that. Help us to embrace it. Help us to celebrate. Help us have joy in our hearts because of what, because of what you've already done and because of what you will do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in. So, you know, Christmas season is all about joy to the world. And Jesus' second coming is joy to the world because the judgments that he is going to bring with him are right. He will bring judgments that are right. And so if you're following along and you have your notes, uh, Jesus' second coming is joy to the world because his judgments are right, verses 1 through 7. Now this is a psalm of Solomon. And so probably it was written by David, but it was written by David for Solomon. All right? And so right off the bat, we're saying, uh, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. 
If you remember, David's kingdom was characterized by wars and battles and trouble and strivings. And uh, he was about, David was about to give that kingdom over to his son, to Solomon. Solomon's kingdom was going to be characterized by building a temple and by wisdom. If you remember, Solomon had the opportunity to ask God for anything, and he asked God, give me wisdom to rule your people. And, and look at what David had prayed for his son. Give the kingdom your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Give the king your justice. It, it could be rephrased. Give the king your judgments. And, and so he doesn't want the king to have good judgments only. He wants the king to have God's judgments. And there's a difference. So give the king your justice, O God. And, uh, and Solomon's reign, his rule, was characterized by a peaceful and wise sort of golden age in the, in the kingdom of Israel. When it says there that um, he, David is praying for this righteous kind of rule, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son, just want to really help all of us understand what this righteousness is all about. Righteousness is not about moral perfections. Righteousness is about a right relationship with God. And so right off the bat, we've got to ask ourselves, how could we sinful people, broken, ever be constantly in right relationship with God? And the answer is, in the Old Testament, as this was written, it was just, it was just this, trust God. So believe him. Act with faith in God. And, and so you'll be reminded that the Old Testament and the New Testament teach us that the righteous will live by faith. And what that's saying is, none of us are going to be morally perfect, but all of us can trust the covenant that God made, that he would send a Redeemer one day, and that in Jesus, he has sent the Redeemer to pay for the sins of the world. So we can come to him and live righteously before God, not by our own moral perfections or the fact that we've never sinned, because all of us have sinned. But we can live in right relationship with God by trusting that what God said he would do, he he would do. And so we're trusting him to keep our relationship right through Jesus Christ. Our sins are paid for by the work that Jesus did. So we are righteous not because we're morally perfect, but because we're trusting the covenant that God made when he said, I will send one who will take away the sins of the world. Remember back in Genesis chapter 22, he said that through your, he was talking of of, uh, Eve, through your offspring, peace will be made. And that word purposely is not through, through the people of Israel or through Judah or through, you know, uh, the religious uh, uh, trappings of the world. It's through your offspring, meaning through Jesus alone, there will be peace that will, will be made between man and God. So we are righteous as we trust God to keep us in right relationship, and as we repent of our sin, and as we faithfully interact with him, and so that's what the word means, and and he will use it, David, as he writes of Solomon, he'll use it repeatedly through the Psalms, so it's really important we understand. He's not talking about just being a good king. He's talking about being a king who rules for God, and trusts the covenant that God has established, and trusts the hope that all of us have that he would one day send a savior. And listen, all of us live in this new, this new era where the king has come. And so we remain righteous, not by doing good works, but by trusting what Jesus has already done and looking ahead to this kingdom that is going to be unpacked here. May he judge over your people with righteousness. One verse one, we already see also a, a kind of a reference that, can, that, that comes true in Jesus. Okay? Solomon is a king. But he's also the son of a king. You see that in verse 1? Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So Solomon is both king and son of a king. And so we we come to Jesus and realize that he is both king, that is, he is king by identity. He's the son of of God. 
So in his deity, he is the king over the world, but he, is, he also has rightful heir to the throne of David. So he is born of Joseph, and he's in the inheritance to ascend to the throne of, of Israel. So keep in mind that the amazing truth of Jesus is not just that he's son of God, it's that he's son of David. So as we come into this Christmas season, we see that Jesus, uh, he, he uh, qualifies to l- rule over this world because he's king of kings, and he qualifies to rule over this world, to sit on this throne of David that God promised would endure forever, and it endures forever in Jesus Christ. So he is the righteous one who will come to the throne and has come to the throne. Do not lose heart in praying for a, a perfect world where the king will have right judgments. Do you, do you lose heart for that? Sometimes when I look at the news, I lose heart thinking we will never see a world that is ruled perfectly. That why even try to go down that road because it just seems like everything is out of control all the time. And this psalm, Psalm 72, is just a little... Christmas gift to you today and to me today to say don't lose heart in praying for that because there is truly one who will sit on the throne over the whole world who will judge rightly. He will bring justice with him. The reign of Christ guarantees that hope. So this is what I want us to see in this, under this number one, this idea that his judgments are right. Number one, that God's people will be vindicated. Do you see that in the first couple of verses? May he judge your people with righteousness. That no matter what injustice we endure, that our king will judge justly. That the king who makes judgments over his people not only knows the law perfectly, but he knows the heart of his people perfectly. And he doesn't only judge you based on if you're guilty of something. He judges you based on righteousness. Are you trusting with faith his son? In this case, him. Are you trusting him, Jesus Christ, to redeem you? God's people will be vindicated as we trust our son. Let me say it another way, as we trust his son. We will not be misjudged in this world. Do you ever feel misunderstood? feel like somebody does not know your motives. They don't know you, but they're offering a judgment against you, an opinion about you. Listen, we have a, a king who is coming who will judge justly. He will judge rightly. He will judge God's people and they will be vindicated as we trust Jesus Christ. The accusations of the enemy will be silenced forever. The people of God will be received by God because of what Jesus has done. Listen, because the coming certain judgments of Christ are real, I can endure injustice right now in this world, knowing that there's a future day coming when all the injustices will be taken care of. If you're enduring injustice this Christmas season, maybe it's a family member or a neighbor, maybe it's a spouse, and you feel like, man, I don't know if I can keep going with this. Can I, can I tell you this? You, you can It's not a hope so or a try harder kind of thing. It's this, the reality that the one who is God's chosen king, the only one who can save, he will reign justly forever and one day will judge aright. And so we can endure injustice momentarily because we know eternally we will live with perfect justice over us. God's judgments in Jesus Christ are right. We can endure not knowing exactly what God is doing right now. If you're like me, you've got a lot of that going in your life. And it seems like as your kids are little, you think you know what God is doing because you're telling your kids what to do a lot. And if, if, it's, if you're like me, as your kids get older, you go, oh, I'm not in control as much as I thought I was. 
in control. And maybe that's not always a bad thing. So if you have some unknowns in your life and some confusion in your life and you're going, God, what are you doing in this situation? Listen, if there is a righteous judge coming who's going to make everything right and set everything perfectly, can't we endure a few Christmases full of unknowns? Because we know the known is coming. It's coming our way because everything is in his hands and he judges rightly. Because God's people will be vindicated, we can endure a lifetime of waiting. Feel like you're waiting? You're in the holding pattern? You're waiting for something to work out and you just feel like that has been the characteristic of your life? Maybe you feel like it's been that way forever, or maybe you've lost hope and you feel like you will be waiting still for God to do something on your deathbed when your days in this world are through. And if you're waiting, can I just say, you are waiting for a righteous judge who will make all the waiting come to an end, and you will experience that kingdom in fullness. And even if every one of the days of your life is about waiting, you know that you have a future where the waiting will be over, and everything is okay. Because God, in Jesus Christ, rules like that. Spurgeon said it this way, it's better to be poor and awaiting help from God than to be self-assured or to have resources or to fix the problem yourself. It's better to be poor and awaiting help from God than feel like you have a place where you have figured things out in this world if you're figuring them out in your flesh or in your own strength. So wait for those judgments and wait for the goodness that comes from the Lord. Can I remind you here that God's people are not the poor or the rich? We're going to look at this a little bit later, but, but God isn't saying that richness and having wealth is immoral and poorness is uh, the, the means to having grace. The reality is that there are poor people who don't cry out to the Lord. And there are rich people who cry out to the Lord, right? So that's not what he's getting at here when he starts speaking of, of injustices and, and people with poverty. We will look at that again when we get down to it in verses 12 through 14. Here's the second thing I want you to see, though, under this, this idea that his judgments are right. That not only will God's people will, will be vindicated, but secondly, that his oppressors, that the oppressors will be crushed. Not exactly a Christmas message, is it? Merry Christmas. The oppressors will be crushed. Go with God. But you know what? I've got a lot of young friends, especially young friends, and I talk to them and they say this, I don't... I don't like the idea that the oppressors will be crushed. I don't want anyone to be crushed. Here's where we need to grow in our understanding, though, of what the Bible says. God is right. Everyone who aligns themselves against God has made themselves. I have made myself his enemy. I'm in line with the oppressors to be crushed one day, and joy to the world that he will rule the world in such a way that all those who come to him will experience peace forever and forgiveness from him, and everyone who lines themselves up against him will be crushed. That's good news for this world. Uh, else, why does Jesus come? Jesus' ministry is nothing if at the end of the day, everyone is forgiven. Then, then this life is a charade. It's a game. Because all the truths of Scripture are really meaningless. If you, We don't have to know God. We don't have to care about God. We don't have to pursue God. Live how you want and all will be considered poor and all will be delivered. But the reality is that's not the the hope we have in a good, righteous judge. When Jesus comes to the throne, he knows who belongs to him, and he knows who are the oppressors. And the oppressors will be crushed. 
everyone who remains God's foe will be judged. Can you you train your heart to rejoice in this? To not want to reinvent God or his word? To not want to soft pedal the message of the gospel? To, To not try to take the teeth out of what the word of God says? Every word that God has uttered is true. And here's the the hope we have to announce to the oppressor is that only this good king can save. But praise God, this good king can save. Our message is not that the oppressors will be crushed. The reality is in just a few verses, he's going to say God takes no delight in anyone whose life is taken in this world. God longs to save lives. He puts his king in place to save lives, not to crush them. John chapter 3, verse 17 says that Jesus did not come to condemn. The whole world was already condemned. Jesus came to save that which was lost. And that is his mission. And that is his love. Pray that oppressors would come to Jesus Pray that oppressors would come to see how they have made themselves the enemy of God and that their future is one of being crushed. The last thing I want us to see under this truth that his judgments are right is this, is is, is that where Jesus is, there is peace. You see that in verse 7, verse 6 and 7? May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. When you're in the presence of Jesus, peace is abundant. It's multiplied. The presence of Jesus is the presence of peace. And so here's the question I have. What do you fear? What is, what is removing the peace? Where there is the, no peace in your soul, that's, that's a place where Jesus needs to reign over me. That's a, that's a place where Jesus needs to reign over you, where there's a place in your soul without peace. And so what do you fear? What are you afraid of? How at this Christmas time, uh, is your Christmas out of control? We bring this back and say, Jesus, reign over, bring peace over that situation. What about relational strife? You, you don't have to, listen, when you go to your family gatherings this Christmas season, can I just take some pressure off of you? This, this psalm, Psalm 72, is a prayer to God for what we know for sure he's going to do. This is how we should use our words this Christmas season. Oh God, do what you say you're going to do. Oh God, establish the throne of your living king. Do that work. Oh God, bring people to see, bring oppressors to see their need of salvation. And can I just say, some of us go into family situations and we think that we have to convince the nephew. We have to convince the daughter. We have to use this opportunity to to sledgehammer some person into submission and convince them that this kingdom is real. You don't have to do that. I would suggest this, that of all the words you use this Christmas season to try to help your loved ones understand the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, which is real and eternal, most of the words you use should be in prayer before him, thanking him for that reality and joyfully uh, looking for that kingdom to come. And then when you get with your, uh, your extended family, bring peace. Because the reign of Jesus over your life should start with this, a reign of peace over you. You have peace in your heart? Relationally? Where Jesus is, there is peace. So do you have physical strife in your life? Pain and diagnosis and numbered days? Can I just tell you this? Because of the certainty that Jesus will reign one day, your last Christmas in this world 
will not be your last Christmas. Joy to the world. He reigns forever. And at some point, each of us will have a last Christmas in this world, and that won't be any of our last Christmases. So if you have physical strife and physical difficulty and some tension in your body, the reality of Christ's forever reign should be cold water, like a water on the mountaintop, just watering your soul and encouraging your heart. Do you have financial strife in your life? The presence of the reign of Jesus should bring peace to you. And if you're in the midst of financial strife, I read a meme on Facebook this week. It said, your presence this Christmas, your your physical showing up, your presence is greater than your presence, the gifts you give. So maybe this is the year where you say, because I need peace to reign, because that's the kingdom that's coming, I'm going to have peace before the Lord. I'm not bringing any presents to anyone this year. All I'm bringing is my presence into the Christmas gatherings. Because on January 15th, when the credit card bill comes due, I don't want to be paying until March or April or June for December. Right? And so your presence is more important than your, your presence. And finally, personal strife. You're faithfully, are you wrestling against the sin that lives in your body? Do you know that if, if Christ will reign forever and his judgments are right, that means that he is calling you and me to factor out our sin as we live in this world in his strength. That is to, to wrestle against our sin nature and to put to death the deeds of the flesh that live in us. This is Christmas. We are facing a future where that beautiful and amazing king reigns forever. And he is calling you and I, if that's true in the future, to live as if it's true today. He's calling you and me to that. Where Jesus is, there is peace. And he must be worshiped. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says that there's a a peace that's coming. It's that classic passage in Isaiah where it talks about Jesus' wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And I just want to read one verse there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus' second coming is joy to the world. But secondly, Jesus' second coming is joy to the world because he will reign over the whole world. So we're praying uh, that that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is coming a reign where Jesus will rule and reign over the whole world. That's what verses 8 through 11 speak of. You see verse 8 there in Psalm 72? May he have dominion from sea to sea. And that's speaking to Solomon of the known promised land. May Solomon have dominion over all of the promised land. But there's definitely a... uh, a truth that while it's true of Solomon, and we're praying that for Solomon, we're praying it come in reality in the reign of Jesus from sea to shining sea over the whole world. And from river to the river to the ends of the earth. That's speaking of the Euphrates, which again is a, is a, uh, a border for the promised land. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. And that's speaking of, uh, of unrefined or uncivilized people. Uncivilized people will come and pay homage to this king. Verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. Tarshish was the farthest known place in the world. When Jonah wanted to flee, he wanted to flee to Tarshish. He wanted to run from the presence of the Lord. And so from every corner, from the furthest known reaches of the world, People, kings will come and pay tribute and homage and will uh, give themselves over to submit to this king. May the kings of Sheba, 
And this speaks of the Arabian prince. This, this speaks of the wealthy nations to the south of Israel. So whether they are uncivilized or from the furthest corner of the world or the wealthy nations, everyone will submit themselves to the rule of Jesus Christ forever, forever and ever. You see that? Guys, in this world today, we think that the nations are making plans that uh, we can't overcome, that there will never be peace in the Middle East, that, that things are happening in this world that are, that are crazily out of control. And, and Psalm 72 is saying, look, this second coming that, where Jesus will reign forever, he will reign over the whole world, and there will be no one who will be outside of his reign. put a, a couple of uh, different examples of that. Iran and Syria will submit themselves to the rule of Jesus Christ forever. Russia and Colombia will submit themselves to the reign and rule of Jesus. North Korea and Israel and even the United States of America. We will submit ourselves to the rule of Jesus forever. It's not our way. We aren't in the right. He is in the right. He has the judgments that bring life. And kings, all kings on the face of the planet will submit to the rule, to the rule of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. There will not exist one neighborhood, one country in the world who remains opposed to his rule. There won't be any place where his rule does not have its power. And if we can think of the way that the kings have have built themselves up against the rule of Jesus, can we just we know that there is coming a day when that resistance will be shattered. And and not only will they submit themselves, the, the word there that they will lick the dust and the illustration is that kings would come and pay homage and subject themselves and they would lay down before the king in the dirt and say, listen, I am your servant. They'll gladly do that. We live in a world where money is the king. And kings will gladly bring tribute to Jesus as he reigns forever. They will gladly and and voluntarily offer tribute as he reigns forever. But no nation will ultimately remain in the clutches of Satan. Christ will reign forever. Overall, Listen, God has promised this in the prophets. He said in the Old Testament, this is what's going to happen. I will establish my rule. And, and I'm going to start with Israel. And through Israel, I'll bring Jesus. And Jesus will be a blessing to the world. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will submit themselves to him. He promised in the, the Old Testament that he would establish a rule like that. And he secured this rule certainly in the ministry of Jesus. And so as we read through the Gospels, we see that in his death and his resurrection, he is guaranteed the, the, uh, the kingdom that will come and will be established forever. He has secured his reign in the Gospels in Christ's first advent. Joy to the world this Christmas season. God has guaranteed this reign in Christ's resurrection, and God has given his people the authority and the responsibility to announce his reign in the church. Can I just say, this is you and me today. If Christ will come and rule forever then we have the responsibility of watching and waiting for that reign and living like it's real. We look back and say, well, how did all of Israel miss Jesus' first coming? I mean, here he lived for 33 years. He had, he had, uh, we can see so clearly how he fulfilled every prophecy. How did the learned people of Israel missed the fact that Jesus was the king. Weren't they waiting for that? They all missed it. Are are we going to miss this? Miss waiting for it? Miss praying for it? Miss looking for it? Miss understand what it's going to look like? Are we going to be the kinds of people just like the ones that we sometimes criticize, saying, how could they have missed Jesus coming? I mean, Merry Christmas. We didn't miss Jesus. We see Jesus. But the reality is the second coming 
This, this powerful rule and reign that's coming is something that we should be expecting, that we should be living for, that we should be praying. Have you prayed for that? Have you prayed that his reign would come? Remember when I was young, I would pray that his reign wouldn't come yet. I would pray that the Lord would wait until I could establish a family and be a little bit older and, and uh, those kinds of things. You know, I want to experience a little bit of life before this reign and this rule came forever. I was an immature guy praying probably, well, definitely, selfishly for me. But, but each of us need to be at a place where we say, you know what, that rule's coming. That's a good rule. That's a good reign. I'm living for that. I'm praying for that. I am watching for that reign and that rule to come. And as real as Bethlehem is, as real as Jerusalem is, as real as Calvary was, as real as the empty tomb is, as real as the mission we have that we are on right now to announce that rule to the world around us, Jesus is coming again, and he will rule and reign physically in this world, and the nations of the world will submit themselves to him. And there will be no corner of the world that is not submitted to him. And so we have the privilege of showing the world right now. Hey, listen, do you show the world that that kingdom's coming by the way that you live? I'll give you an example of that. Uh, If you're anxious about stuff that's going on in your life right now to the point of being paralyzed or obsessed with anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen next, and then you try to tell your nephew or your grandchild or your husband or your wife that... uh, Jesus is peace. Really? Something's not right there. If that's who I am. Because if if Jesus is peace and his kingdom is certain, there should be some peace in my heart today. Right now. Because I know that that kingdom's real. And I know that he will rule with goodness. And I know that he will render good judgments. And I know that I will not be misjudged. And there's hope for my life. And so as I go to establish and to announce this kingdom, I should go with a confidence in Jesus that his reign is real and that his his reign is coming. And the psalmist prays for this reign to come. He does not ask God to wait. Do you? He does not argue with rich or poor about the truthfulness of the reality of Christ's reign. In other words, he lives like it's real and he announces that it's real and doesn't do a lot of arguing with people who say it's not real. Because the psalmist David is convinced that Jesus' reign is a fact. It's going to come. And he talks with God in prayer about this coming reign. I hope, as I shared a little earlier, that's one of your, glad, your, your happiest duties to go to the Lord in prayer and say, oh Lord, my happiest thing is to pray for something that I know for sure you're going to do. Lord, bring your kingdom with power. Judge rightly. Bring Jesus to rule over this world. Judge your people with goodness and bring them close to your heart and crush your oppressors, that the whole world will see that you are the king of kings and lord of lords. Number three, Jesus' coming is joy to the world because he rescues the poor and the needy. Check out verses uh, 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Listen, Christ is about rescuing the needy in this world. He is about coming to the rescue of people who don't have any resources and who can't help. You know what? This world is organized around oppressing poor people. It really is. However we look at it, poor people and, and, and people without resources are often pushed under the bus, if you will. The poor are used and oppressed by the rich. 
And can I just stop and say, before we start comparing ourselves to one another, since we live in the richest nation of the world, uh, probably 100% of the people in this room in the world's definition of money are wealthy. We're wealthy. So don't too quickly say, well, I, let me, let me um, kind of identify with the poor people in this. The reality is we should identify with the, the rich person being described. Oh, how the poor are used and oppressed by the rich in this world. The law is used to oppress the poor often and often to free the rich. Can I just say something? I'm not going to take a stand on, on the things that took place in New York City with some of the grand juries uh, or what happened in Ferguson, but, but this I'm going to say. If I were someone who viewed myself as oppressed by the rich or the system, and this Christmas my adult son was not sitting around the Christmas table because of the actions of the government or those in authority. I'm just going to say this. My heart would be broken. My heart would be empty. And we can make the arguments about who was right and who was wrong, but here's what I'll say. The, the poor or the oppressed father and mother, their hearts are broken in this world. And I think you probably know poor and oppressed moms and dads in this world whose hearts are broken. Because we live in the kind of world that oppresses people. The legal systems reward those who might be able to afford. Human trafficking oppresses the orphan and the poor takes them from their place and uses them for whatever desires the people in, in power have. Those that are not set in families have, have come to visibly, have no one to visibly protect them in this world. And, and the heart of this judge is to protect the poor to protect the orphan, to protect the ones not set in families. As I was reading this way, Spurgeon said it beautifully when he said that the sheep have many natural predators, many natural enemies. The sheep have many that would prey upon them, but the good shepherd has overcome them all. Are you not amazed that you serve a, a, a Savior whose second coming is joy to the world because he rescues the needy? Can I just say this? There are rich people. This does not say, as I said before, the rich are evil and the poor are good, or that the rich by proxy are going to have a hard time getting into heaven, but all the poor get into heaven. It's not saying that. It's saying that God is good to allow crud and stuff and problems in this world that put us in the place where we are needy so that as needy ones we will cry out. And he says, when the needy cry out, this second coming Jesus, this one who will sit on the throne forever will hear their cries and respond to them because he rescues the poor and the needy. There are some poor and needy people in my life and some poor and needy people in your life who refuse to cry out for help to God. And so again, we're back to this. How do we appeal to them? Do we just keep giving them kindnesses and graces in this world? I think we appeal to them like David is appealing. We cry out that the one who is the judge will put them in a position where they will cry out to him. Don't you love Luke chapter 15? In Luke chapter 15, we have a son who went to the far off country and he rehearsed this whole big long speech about what he would say to his father when he, as he travels back to be in his presence. And, and he never had the opportunity to, to say the big long speech that he had worked out because when he got back close to his dad, his dad ran to him and hugged him and in essence said, listen, son, be quiet. Don't give me that whole speech that you have practiced on your way home. You're my son. 
You were in the far-off country, and now you're home. And listen, that is the heart of the Father towards the needy. As the needy, sometimes I rehearse these big, long speeches, and how will I pray, and what will I say? And all he's waiting for me to do is just say, I can't do this anymore. Help me. And the I can't do this anymore and the help me is the joyful cry of Christmas. Are you there yet? Or are you saying, I, I can't. I have such need in my life. Some people get stuck and say, you know what, I'm angry because this God who could take away the need of my life has not yet done it and I am angry at him. But praise God, we have a God who not only allows need in our life, he allows that need to create a cry from our lips to him for help. That is the beauty of this Christmas. That when you are finally ready to cry out to him, he can't wait to save the soul and to affect the cause of the needy ones. I can't and God save me are joyful cries of Christmas. You know, he loves his people, and uh, he doesn't want them to shed their blood. There are moments in this world where blood will be shed. You know, if you're not following this whole Pastor Saeed situation where he is being held in Iraq, uh, you're missing out on seeing how uh, this Christmas season, how trouble and persecution can be used to announce to the world that we've got a, a Savior like Jesus whose second coming is real. His judgments are real and his reign will be over the whole world. And, and Pastor Saeed's wife has had time after time of opportunity to announce to the world that only Jesus can save and that he's waiting to hear the cries of the needy. Millions of people in Iraq and Iran I've heard the gospel because Pastor Saeed is in prison and his wife has been interviewed countless times. She, she lives somewhere here in the States in the Midwest. She doesn't like traveling. She's, she doesn't want to be at the worldwide, you know, she doesn't want to be in the, the forefront. She wants to be in the background. But because Saeed is in jail, parliaments and kings and people all around this world have said, come tell us, come tell us what's going on. And she stands before them and says, Saeed's in jail because... Uh, he believes that only Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And millions of people heard the gospel because of persecution. But God takes no delight in the death of his people. Do you see the beauty here? That, that Jesus doesn't ask you and me like a king would to go lay down our lives to extend his kingdom. He doesn't say, I'm looking for a few good people to go out there and, and give their lives for me. He says, look, I gave my life so that you can live for me in this world. He's a king who laid down his life for his people, not a king who asks his people to lay down their lives for the kingdom. He's an amazing king who loves. And he, when there are moments when there are people who pay for their life in terms of martyrdom and they give up their life, he takes no delight in that. He loves the life of, of his people. And finally, his reign will never end. Jesus' second coming is joy to the world because his reign will never end. Christ's almighty reign is eternal. And we say with the psalmist here, long live the king. May he live forever. We rejoice to pray in what we know that God's going to do. Long live this king Jesus. May he live forever. It's already begun, this kingdom. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said, Behold, the uh, kingdom of God is here. Here is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know that this kingdom has already begun, but it's going to come in power when Jesus reigns in this world. The people of God, uh, we, we could speak of how blessed we are in belonging to Jesus every day for the rest of our life. You know one of my favorite hymns? You know that hymn that says, uh, it's, it's about the love of God, and it says, look, if, if every stock growing in the world today was a, was a quill so we could write with it, and every person on the planet was somebody that wrote this down and, and, and kind of put it in, in, uh, in words, 
and if the oceans were full of ink so that we could, we could take our quill and we could dip it in the ocean and we could write, and if the sky were parchment and, and the whole world devoted themselves constantly every day to speaking of the love and the greatness of God, we would drain the oceans dry before we ran out of things to say about how blessed and amazing our Savior Jesus Christ is. We cannot exhaust his goodness. We can't say it loud enough. We can't say it enough. And and that brings us to this point. Is that what my wife hears me talking about? All day long. This Rain is real, and it is powerful, and it is just, and he will right every wrong, and he will reign forever. And my frail days in this world, when they come to an end, I know that it's just a passageway to be with him forever. But I find a way to complain. Maybe you do too. And rather than doing what this verse calls you and I to do, may his name endure forever, excuse me, um, Uh, verses 15 through 17, long may he live. May prayer be made to him continually and blessings invoked for him all day long. And my mouth isn't full of blessings for his name all day long. Your kids hear you talking about the blessing of Jesus all day long. Does your neighbor hear you talking about the blessing of belonging to this second coming Jesus all day long? What is your mouth full of? Because if if his reign will never end, and where Jesus is, there is peace, and you can't be misjudged, and he knows your heart, and he's going to judge perfectly and righteously, if the whole world is going to experience this reign, then this Christmas, my friend, you've got a lot of joy. A lot to be thankful about. A lot to be hopeful for. And our mouth should be full of the praise of this Savior. And our kids should hear Dad talking about it. And Mom rejoicing in it. And they should be learning to say it along with us. And if they're not, we leave that be, and we live like his kingdom is real. And we pray that his kingdom would come for their heart. And we have peace in our hearts. And we rejoice that this king is not just a king who came a first time, but he's a a king who's going to come a second time too. Do you stand with me as I read verses 18 through the end in closing? Blessed be the Lord. The God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And Father, dismiss us with your blessing from this place. And may we rejoice that we serve a king who came a first time to take away the sins of the world and will come a second time to establish a kingdom forever in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.